how can I have spiritual integrity with my sex life, you know? And like, that doesn't have to look like I'm a fucking Puritan. So that's why I mean, I'm curious to ask other people about what their experience is with it, you know? What does their, what does others healing look like? Everybody, this is Rose. And this is Louisa. And you're listening to Sober Sex. I made a promise to myself to stop not listening. What it looks like now is that I make conscious choices around my sexuality. It started with putting down the substances, really, and starting to listen. And the listening to my body has changed. And recording! Yay! Yay! Amazing! Amazing! Lewis. Hi. Hi. Um, So, everybody, we have today Lewis G. Burton, artist, performer, activist, founder of one of London's most exciting parties, wise and courageous, role model, generally lovely and amazing human being. We are so, so, so happy to talk to you today on Sober Sex. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. We are very delighted to have you. So can you tell us, before we begin uh, the heavy questioning, <laughs> your preferred pronouns? Um, I, I respond to all pronouns. Like I do prefer, like, just they, them, but, like, I'm not um, somebody who's, you know, militant about pronouns. I think I'm a bit older, you know. Huh. Awesome. Well, thank you for for having like some uh, bandwidth for our uh, potentially fucking up that. <laughs> but rad. Well, they them it is. We will do our best. Thank you so much. And thanks for yeah explaining that. So we usually start this conversation by asking about the messages that were received early in life about sex and sexuality. Can you tell us a bit about your early ideas surrounding this stuff? Um. Yeah. I guess like. Being like a queer person, I've never like really had any any way of expressing myself. Like, or think, I think growing up, I'm from like a little small mining village on the outskirts of Newcastle. So it's very heteronormative, very much old school and traditional in its values. So that had a massive impact on me, especially knowing that I was different growing up and queer and I felt very othered um so like I was very like I'd switched off my that kind of that side of myself for such a long time when did that start or was it just like (laughs) was it always like "Hmm, I'm not eating the same cereal that these guys are eating (laughs) like this is a little this this is different or was it just like a lack of representation of who you felt you you were sexually or or gender wise um, I think it was more of a factor of like I was just numb. I think that's a really good way of describing it. Like I knew I was so different, and whenever I tried to stray from the you know being assigned male at birth and try to stray from that gender marker, I was always like put down by family members and friends and family friends. So I, from a very young age, learned just to shut down and, and numb myself, um, which is really obviously not a very nice thing to do but like luckily I mean what happened was I was at school 
and a new boy moved into our class and I was like 14, 15 and I fell in love with them. And that was like the first time that I was like, after numbing myself and switching myself off from all these emotions and my sexuality that I was like, oh, wow, this is something I can't like, this is too overwhelming to, to suppress. Mm. I, I mean, it's so interesting because I, I experience you as such kind of like a full, like free individual like it's such a pleasure to interact with you for that reason and so the idea of you numbing yourself and kind of conscientiously like switching that part off is just heartbreaking I'm so happy that you were able to kind of to to blossom through that phase because I'm sure that there's a lot of people who don't have that opportunity you know no definitely like if I hadn't fallen in love god knows where I would be and how how much like how no I would have stayed and how I think I would have probably been dead, honestly, if I didn't have like these certain moments in my life that it allowed me to confront who I was in such a dramatic way, you know? I just suppressed like being attracted to guys for so long. Like even, I, I knew from such a young age, like I did know, but I would just put it to the back of my mind and just forget about it and forget about it. And then this thing, the feeling like really overwhelmed me to the point that I couldn't run from it. And, like, being so young as well and not really... So I'd spent the whole of my, like, life numb to all of these feelings and I have the the extreme end of the spectrum of, like, this overwhelming lust and, like, you know, wanting to be around this person constantly and not knowing what it is, really. And then kind of figuring out this is what love must be and this is what thing is. And then having, having to sit down with that and being like, why do I feel this way? Da, 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 and really engage with my emotions, which I never did my whole entire life. Yeah. And that must be so to remain so, to spend such a long period of time, like dissociated and disconnected from one's emotions. No, definitely. Definitely. It was a, a very weird, intense, troubling time. But like that whole, like being in love with my best friend at school thing lasted until I was 16. And then I was it unrequited, or did you did you let this person know? Oh no, it was definitely unrequited, like Ooh. straight hell, which is even worse. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the pain so that was yeah, literally that was an adventure. But no, like I started drinking like when I was thirteen, anyways. But then being around this person and like trying to navigate my emotions, I was I was drinking a lot, like on weekends, like after school, we would go out and drink liters upon liters of cider out in the woods and just you know it was definitely like looking back on it was definitely like further like numbing myself further but physically doing it rather than mentally doing it um but after a few years I kind of guess it all bubbled up to the surface and then that kind of went like I knew I was causing myself so much pain and turmoil that I was like enough is enough and led me to coming out to my friend group as bisexual, which was then like my kind of first steps into exploring my sexuality. Wow. So that was when you were like 17? 16, I think I was when I came out to my friends. Ooh, how'd that go? Really well. They were all like, we knew, we knew. And I was like, oh, fuck. So, <laughs> like, you know, I can't came out. The way I came out was like, I, I told them I was in love with this person. And they were like, oh, we knew. Like, it was so obvious. And I was like, oh, God. But, yeah, they were, like, the first people I ever really said it out loud to when I was really drunk. But 
it was definitely like a stepping stone for me and like they're still my good friends that I hang around with now and when I go back home to Newcastle they're my really good friend group who I love and adore a lot awesome and I'm, I'm so happy that you were like well received that you kind of like got got met with love as opposed to judgment or shame yeah like they're amazing on my 18th birthday they took me out they surprised me and we went to some like male stripper night and it was really fab <laughs> <laughs> was that in Newcastle Lewis Yes, my friends took me out to to this place called Whitley Bay, which is like an old seaside town, like um like resort from back in the day. But then they have pubs and stuff there. There was a strip night on in one of the clubs, and all my friends for my eighteenth birthday took me there. And so, how did that kind of evolve from there? Like when it seems like your your story is kind of in terms of artist and activist really get started when you moved to London. But how did that? How did you kind of bridge the gap <laughs> in between? Yeah, so like obviously I'd been doing these things and I was out with bisexual and like living my life and it wasn't really until I started doing my foundation, which I guess was like a year later when I was 19, that I really um, discovered like the club kids and Lee Bowery and all of the gender bending and gender fuckery that was going on. Can I swear? Is it okay to Sorry? swear? Is it oh, okay yes, that I swear? please. So okay. much swearing. Fuck yes. Okay. <laughs> Okay, just because I said fuck, and I was like, oh, can I say gender fuckery? (laughs) (laughs) Fuck, indeed. (laughs) It's a pretty lame podcast on sex if we can say fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Like the most vanilla fucking podcast would just be like, Oh, it's not even a handle, like, not like, yes, over sex, anyways. Yeah, exactly. It's It's true. okay I'm, I'm okay to say fuck fabulous <laughs> well yeah so when i was 19 i discovered all of like the club kids and lee bowery um all this like gender fuckery and just like people who seem to be living a really authentic queer life to the extreme that i had so much envy for but also really resonated with because feeling othered all my life and then seeing people that felt like my internal emotions physically was mind-blowing and it was really the door that opened for me and really allowed me to start accepting myself to the fullest and really start leaving sexuality for a bit but exploring gender now and that year of like 19 was when I moved to London the end of just before my 20th birthday so that's when I moved to London and I decided I'm going to live my most fabulous fucking authentic life and I'm really going to figure out who I am, what I like, how I want to present myself to the world, you know, and figure out all these things. And then that is the start of the London chapter. Fucking hell, that's amazing. And you talk about, like, being othered and something that's come up for us a lot on um, sober sex is the subject of shame and however that, like, shows up. How did you kind of like work through that? I mean, for me, like I had so much shame. Like I had shame for being attracted to guys. I had shame for being too feminine. I had shame for being othered. I had shame for being fat. I had shame of like not feeling attractive enough or good enough. Um, So for me, it took years of work and unpacking to do that. Like it's not something that... I'm still working on myself, but I think I've got it into a really great place now where it's a tiny little voice in my head instead of my the thing that dominates my head, if that makes sense. That's so awesome. I mean, just to kind of like 
to to feedback what you're saying like it's my experience of you embodied is like so it's such an incredible energy to be around because you're so free and it's so inspiring because I too like have worked through a lot of shame especially around body stuff and like the the love and like grace that you kind of present with is magnificent it's so nice to be around because it's like oh my god they are so fucking fabulous and they know about it and they're not afraid of it and they're not trying to like stamp it out of themselves it's like the most incredible thing that was like my first impression of you i'm like wow lewis is the best i'm very like as kind of by proxy i'm very grateful for the work that you've done there because it's like it's a it's a joy to encounter in the world I mean, it was a journey and it took a long time to get to where I am. And like, I fucking love myself right now and I know who I am and I'm not going to change that for anything in the world. Like, I'm not like, I just, I'm I just so comfortable in my own skin, which I never had for like the first like 19 years of my life, which is such a weird feeling. And obviously even the first three, four years of being in London, it was hard work when like, one day I just like I've got a friend in recovery, James Taylor, who's an amazing artist and <laughs> James Taylor the musician. Like contemporary painter, like really redefining painting. His work's amazing. Um but we studied together at universities. So that's how we met and he'd been in the rooms for like seven years or so and we were constantly having conversations over the years anyways, like he was letting me know these spaces existed and he would always be there to kind of like pick me up as well when I was having my little moments. I used to obviously still carry on drinking and that and moving to London, I got carried away with drugs as well. And um, yeah, after like four or five years, I really had enough and I was starting to like be low a lot of the time, like mm. much of the time. And I just was like, fuck it, enough is enough. And um. I went to slaw for a bit. That didn't really work for me because I didn't like three or four months there. And I was like, I just can't. It's t- it was too intense for me. And then I didn't really resonate enough to like feel that like I had like an addiction that I couldn't control to go to AA or NA. It was definitely more about the like sex side of my life and like relationships and intimacy. Um, but no, I, I realized that I had nothing is enough and I started watching loads of talks online, like with Brene Brown, who does amazing um, talks around shame. That we're was obsessed really... with Brene Brown, <laughs> like mutually <laughs> obsessed. This morning, she's my fucking favorite person. I want her at my house in a box. She's amazing. <laughs> she like literally opened up the the door for me, and like like helped contextualize all these things that had been swirling around in my mind and being like, that's that, you know. Was, wow. Yeah. Awesome. And and it's interesting because it's like it's it <laughs> the fact that Rose and I are both in recovery, I think that like we have a really specific um kind of path through sobriety. And it's cool to like encounter different modalities of that that like I know in your kind of current process that you have you have like a little over six months, yeah, or seven now, yeah. Yeah, since the like tenth of January was the last of my draft. <laughs> Congratulations! Oh seven months in seven days. <laughs> very, it sounds very <laughs> biblical. <laughs> and deserve like double months because it's been fucking lockdown. So, like everyone's <laughs> yes. 
double months. <laughs> no, definitely. But I, I think when I was speaking to my flatmates, like, imagine being hungover and dealing with all this shit of the lockdown. Like, oh. I could not cope. Well, I, it's been interesting because I think a lot of people have kind of come to recovery as like a result of being like, I can't, I cannot manage my alcohol. Like if I drink my way through this, I will die. You know? Right. Or being with oneself through the fucking process of like, I, what, I can't leave the space that I'm in. So I can't like leave or distract myself from myself. Here I am. Yeah. People are just confronted with who they are and you can't run away. And it's been a really massive like eye opener for them. Well, and it's and it's cool too because it's like again we like we're in a twelve step program and the fact that like you know about it and you have some tools from there but that's not necessarily your path is really like it's really exciting because it's you know I think there's there's a lot of resonance out there there's a lot of people who are like I'm not sure if I've like hit rock bottom or whatever but I don't necessarily want to kind of like define my life by my use and abuse so it's exciting when there's like a kind of third possibility of like I choose to stop before i want to die <laughs> you know yeah i think it was just like the realization of like i'm unhappy and i want to continue to be unhappy and it's going to get worse because it has been getting worse and i did hit rock bottom a few times and i tried to use different tools but actually ultimately with myself i managed to pull m- me out of there which i guess i'd been doing my whole life anyway it's like i'd realized enough was enough and it's been my survival mechanism wow do you like crave like a sober community or do you find that you have resources that you can tap into which are plentiful and like I have um, I just have so many amazing friends that are part of AA or NA or SLAR or similar programs and they're always great soundboard for me to talk to because you understand it and although that for them that I dip my toes in and out of like sobriety whereas like I might have a month off and go crazy and have fun but within reason or if I feel like it's getting out of hand I'll stop myself and go back as I'll jump back on the sober train I mean I'm very lucky in that regard but also like I'm I'm lucky to have those people that understand what I'm going through and they can listen and they can give it advice and yeah I'm just really blessed and I, I don't really feel like I need a sober space per se like I'm I've spent the past like I've been in clubs since I was 13 I'm 29 next month like I've been around fucked people my whole life it seems it's my new normal you know it's my it's my life I've been around it all I've seen it all you know like everybody has their own thing and like some people are sober some people are on their journey some people are just young and experimenting like everybody's at different stages and I just try all I can do is be there make sure everybody's doing things sensibly and staying safe and then let them know that I'm always here if they want to come for any advice um and have you noticed a change in your like like your sex life or your sexuality kind of as a result of being sober i know that this is maybe a challenging question because it like as you're like i'm gonna stop drinking then it's like a month later is locked down (laughs) (laughs) well i do you know what it's really weird for me i have like a really like strong like fear of intimacy and a fear of men which is like really fucked up and it makes me really hard to navigate around things sexually sometimes. Like, I just have to have really honest conversations with people that I'm dating or hooking up with. Or if that progresses into a relationship, I just, it's just about, it's really, like, I need to be really honest about the way I'm feeling and the things that are happening to me. So, like, I've never got into a relationship or, like, started hooking up with somebody or going dated sober because of those things. Like, I've always numbed myself with 
the booze or the drugs. Not I've never really done drugs. I've been in them. I'll have a few drinks when I go out on a date or whatever because I need that because my fear gets a lot sometimes and it really just like relaxes me. So we hear that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what your experiences are. Like, have you got any tips? Great question. <laughs> but I've got a fucking toolbox of tips. Um, I think being, actually, I love what you say about being honest. I think just being with myself where I'm at so that when I show up in a space that's intimate, I'm like, here's where I'm at. Like, let's have a laugh about it. I might fucking just, like, break out in a sweat at some point. <laughs> because intimacy feels really hard right now but please don't take it personally I'm still present I love I think for me honesty has always been just knowing that I can be raw and vulnerable with somebody just sort of like takes the pressure off and like not take myself too fucking seriously all the situation and also um checking in with other people like we talk about in 12 step a lot and all forms of recovery like bookending like checking in with another sober person before I go on to have a connection with somebody and then at the other end too. And Rose, like you, you were just sober when you started dating the person who's your now husband. So what was like early interaction like? (laughs) It was horrendous for my now husband. (laughs) What about you, Lou? I mean, it's an itch. I think, Louis, like you're doing it in the reverse. Like you're actually becoming emotionally, like you sought emotional sobriety before you necessarily sought physical sobriety, it sounds like, in terms of like having boundaries and advocating for your needs and being vulnerable enough when kind of creating connection to like be careful, like as in full of care around like intimacy. And for me, it like that didn't happen until I had like a decade of sobriety. <laughs> like, I mean, on and off, but because I, I would be in some long term relationships that were relatively healthy. But like when I first got sober, I was really, really disconnected from my body for a really, really long time. And so I could kind of shut that part off because I wasn't necessarily experiencing feelings in my skin. I was just like kind of zooming ahead all the time. <laughs> and and would also, I think this was, this felt kind of fucked up. Like I felt often more comfortable engaging with people who weren't necessarily, I would either date like fellow sober, insane people <laughs> like who are bonkers, or I would date um, people who were still out because like, then I didn't have to, kind of, I, I would, could just write off the fact that I'm like, oh, they like, they, they're not here either. You know, like I don't have to care because they're not really here. Like, <laughs> Um, which is bullshit and really disrespectful. I mean, like, not that I was dating people like in black or fucking people in blackouts or whatever, but like, I felt kind of off the hook a little bit if somebody else had had a drink and I was sober, <laughs> which is a bit scary. And then around, like, I I've been doing therapy for uh, with the, my present therapist and the present kind of like gestalt practice for like seven years now. But about four years ago, I started to get into my body. And was single at that time and started like the feeling of suddenly kind of arriving in my own skin, sober and kind of emotionally present, like feeling, feeling what feelings felt like. (laughs) I felt like I was on fire, like 90% of the time. (laughs) It was just like, ah, (laughs) like, so that was really (laughs) uncomfortable, (laughs) but managed to make my way through it. And um, yeah, the other side is the the kind of the intuition is much more 
finely tuned and I feel like I've actually been able to kind of tap into like the power of eroticism and also be able to kind of modulate the feeling of being on fire all the time. Like I can turn it down now <laughs> because it, I don't need like my intensity to define me kind of, but man, it sucked for some time. <laughs> I think like an evolution in that um, over a period of recovery, like we're always changing, aren't we? And I'm just curious, Lewis, like um, do you find that your sex and sexuality inform what you do creatively? I mean, obviously to a certain degree, like, de- yeah, definitely, actually definitely. Like I think a lot of my frustration and then me navigating through my identity whether that be through my sexuality or my gender or other things in my life, really shaped my practice as an artist and, like, had done, basically from that moment in 19 when I when I um, discovered, like, Lee Bowery and stuff, was really, like, the beginning of when I started exploring performance art and really looking into that. And then my body was literally my canvas where I would dress up and play around with gender and shoot movies and do these fun, fabulous shoots. And then, yeah, they've definitely, definitely been, definitely informed my practice so much. It just has. And it's like, it's just just so integral to who I am. It was so part of my journey that I couldn't not touch it. I had to do something about it. And for me, like making my art and being a creative person is therapy in itself. For me, it really has helped me heal these wounds that that I have had for like most of my life and really navigate through them and just give myself a sense of inner peace. And I think that comes with being vulnerable and showing the world like these the, the deepest, darkest parts of yourself and being like, um, this is who I am. And then people being confronted with that and just accepting it and loving it unconditionally. And and if they don't, they can fuck right off. Exactly. <laughs> <Lovely. laughs> <laughs> and and kind of just want to also take a moment to kind of recognize like the the idea or or kind of open up the idea that like um f- like physical sex, gender, and sexuality are three totally different things that are often assumed to line up in a really specific way kind of yeah. by the the culture at large so I'm I'm curious as to like how what your experience was in like either differentiating or just like kind of coming into yourself as uh like you said queer but then like that that the the sexuality and the gender being two different things or did they kind of come together as like you're uh, in in growing up like how did that express itself um, I think it was just a lot of like my gender stuff didn't happen until a lot later because of I was I pushed all of my sexuality to one side and I, I guess I just didn't have the tools or the knowledge or the understanding of these things. I didn't even know another queer person. There was a couple of gay men on TV, but there was nobody to look up to you. I had no idea what these words were. I had no idea how to formulate these feelings and do a physical thing. Mm. Um, I just knew that, like, you know, I was assigned male at birth, but I always really resonated with being androgynous or super feminine. 
and not with the masculine that I've been given at birth. And that is more of my gender expression where I, I think of myself as like a non-binary, like or gender non-conforming, like, or even like I've been toying with the idea of being like trans feminine these days. Like gender is like an, an evolving thing. And until you like feel so confident and comfortable in it, it's yours. It, it doesn't have to be one thing. It can change. You can change with time and realize that maybe this way of, presenting to the world has served its purpose and you want to try something new and for me i'm still on that journey of kind of figuring that out and maybe it's something that i'll be on for the rest of my life but it's a good fucking ride (laughs) yeah it's so fucking exciting to like because i think that you know there's so much like cultural stigma around this any idea of should you know that like there should be a landing place or there should be a binary and the the fact that like (laughs) the enjoyment of the action of the process of the evolution is is really an exciting idea uh how did you kind of uh, i know you mentioned like lee bowery and the club kids and stuff but like how did you kind of educate yourself around that as you like were on a kind of journey of personal discovery or how do you continue to educate yourself around it i guess um i honestly have no idea it was one of those things that i was determined to like figure out And I just kept reading books and like looking at stuff online and reading things and then moving to London, actually having queer friends and talking to them, especially speaking to my like queer elders um, and them giving me reading materials or people to look into definitely helped. And that's all you can do to formulate these ideas, really, is be like, oh, I don't fit in with this group of people. So maybe you can find the group of people that you do fit in with and talk to them, especially talk to the people that came before you, you know, your elders, they always have some really good wisdom to pass on. I love this. Yeah. It's like having a queer sponsor. <laughs> it's like <laughs> somebody who has yeah. like been through it. Mm. Love you. Brilliant. And I also think it's so important when you're just reflecting on all of that, like to not stagnate and like maybe even I think we all think we just need to fit into like one box and make a fucking decision and stay there. Like, fuck that. Like this is evolving. Even people who think they're like deadly straight or whatever, like be prepared for yourself to continue to evolve. However this may look, if you, if you dare to stay present with yourself, I think it's really, um, yeah, a hundred percent. I think so many people have like a, a revival later on in life about around their sexuality as well. Like, they're realizing that they've been with maybe one partner since they were 16, 17, 18 for the whole of their life. And then they break up in their mid thirties and they're like, actually maybe the thing that I thought I wanted when I was that young in my teens doesn't reflect who I am now. And they have like a second awakening. And I know that happens a lot and a lot of older females. I can't remember that. I was reading this theory about it a few months back. I can't remember for life of me what it's called, but it was really interesting. (laughs) I'm super curious to hear about that. I'd love to maybe come back to us, give us some show notes on that one. Definitely. Wicked. So, um, Louisa tells me you're on a cracking party called Inferno. Can you tell us about it? Inferno is my little baby. It's been going for like, well, it, it came up in, in, in my mind like six years ago, and it's been actually actively running for about five and a half years now. And party years are like dog years. So that's five times. It says it's like a 35-year-old party. The party's yeah, an adult. <laughs> literally. It's older than me. 
it's got a fucking job it's just like hootling around like <laughs> on. Well, tell us what happens at a party like for anybody who's not a party person inferno is like not like your typical party like inferno is like a community space more more importantly than a party it just so happens that there's such a rich history of queer people coming together in nightclubs to find like-minded people so it's about knowing our legacy and our history as queer people and carrying on the torch and holding space for the community to come together so that's the main thing with inferno was for me to create that space and then we have we, we've been described as like a techno rave come our platform where you know I, I take a lot of the younger kids in and mentor them give them a paid um residency and go through their practice and really give them some advice and ideas and and just mentor them a bit and just support each other and and give each other a lot of love because i think it's so important especially like within the queer community it took me a good few years to to find my family and have my support system around me so i could thrive so for me inferno was about creating that for the people and allowing other people to find their families and just to feel supported and loved that's so fucking beautiful (laughs) i mean especially as you talk about like the idea of uh like you know having elders to kind of show you the ropes and it seems like you've really kind of taken you know a matriarchal or patriarchal role in that um in that space of like you have baby ducklings just coming up behind you <laughs> it's so awesome I have, my little baby. I have so many of my little babies I love, I, they inspire me honestly the kids inspire me so much like their fearlessness their attitude like i was brought up with so much shame and so much guilt about who i was whereas they have the internet in the palm of their hands and the know who they are from such a young age and we have like this new generation of queer kids who are born without shame and that just blows my fucking mind well and the fact that you were part of creating a space that that could exist you know like for fostering a space for that to flourish like the thing that you didn't necessarily get to have is like you've made which is so fucking beautiful yeah i think like i'm very much a practical person when it comes to those things like i'm always like you should be the change that you want to see because I waited around for other people to do things and like it didn't happen. So I was like, fuck this. I'm going to go and do it myself. No one's fucking coming in to take control. No one's like, coming to save us. <laughs> no God damn it. I'm going to have to do it. <laughs> ever, but also the most freeing thing ever. <laughs> but yeah. So Inferno is this really wonderful community space that also happens to be like a queer rave with like performance art and films and other video work screening and like yeah it's just a really beautiful hedonistic space that people come and dress up and express their identity and their their authenticity or you get be just free and mix with people from different corners of the queer community and just there, yeah, it's really beautiful and really nice, and people look amazing, or they have no clothes on, but everything they have yeah. a good fucking time. <laughs> I, just in the UK. Well, I actually have an anecdote to share because I played the Paris one <laughs> for Fashion Week <laughs> last year. <laughs> there was a Paris one, and like it's everything you'd w- wished it would be and more. Thank you, Lewis. <laughs> there was like people who were totally naked, uh, sweaty ravers. A dance performance that had open flames, <laughs> and like at where was it? It was uh, a La Java, 
So La Java. Yeah. La Java. <laughs> it was and oh. and the really fucking amazing music and uh, <laughs> and also I think you perform you you informed me that you'd never played an opening set. <laughs> Which I'm like, that's how to do it. Like, like Lewis has built the thing that you wanted to see in the world by being like, oh no, I'm not an opener, which is so, like, that's my goals. <laughs> I mean, I had my own fucking party. I'm not going to put myself on first, but like, I can give people a show. I'm fucking good at that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so awesome. <laughs> I you love know. that. When you back to Paris, oh, well, sorry, sore subject, when you're fucking global pandemic when the pandemic stops we'll have to do a do-over no definitely i mean you've got to come to london experience it first time because i mean paris is fucking amazing but like nothing's like you know where do you where's the party in london um we were at the yard theater which we might go back to i love the yard yeah cute little theater space in east london hackney wick like big up the yard theater they're really great at supporting like emerging artists and talent and they've got a really fabulous team there excellent excellent if you had one piece of um like wisdom to tell your ducklings for for survival what would that be um i guess it would have to be like find your family because it took me two or three years to really get my support system around me to I just felt very alone, alienated, especially when you're out partying a lot and taking a lot of drugs and drinking a lot. The people you think are your friends are nothing more than like club acquaintances who party with the weekends, but they're they're not going to be there for you when you when they need you or you need them or you know. But just really find your family and find like a really good group that love and care for you and will support you no matter what, and that so you can be there for each other because it's a fucking tough world out there and. We need that. We need that to thrive. We need that to survive. And we need that to be the best versions of ourselves. Beautiful. And also, I mean, I guess the inverse of that question that just occurred to me uh, is like, what do what's something that your your kind of the family that is coming up behind you? Like, what's something that, that you feel like that they have taught you? I mean, the kids just teach me to be fearless and really like I keep growing from them and just listening to them and. They're going to change the world. Like, the kids are going to fucking change the world. They're so driven and have so much passion. And honestly, now I'm getting older, I've, I've lost a lot of my, like, the fearlessness I had when I was young, and I envy that they have that. And it just inspires me, and it really lights a fire inside of me. Mm, I love that. Um, and I, And also, I guess, like, kind of a question about how to hold space, right? Because, like talking about the the party like I think it's easy if you're in kind of a party mode or like even as all of us were in in kind of former lives um like into drugs or alcohol like that can get dark (laughs) you know so how do you kind of feel like you're able to keep the liberated space of Inferno so kind of like healing and like about freedom as opposed to kind of let it get kind of into the the darkness or the the debauchery specifically i mean inferno was born from the darkness and was born from my darkness and it was about you know just offering the two extremes of my personality which was like the dark the underground like techno grotesque performance art side of things and really mixing that with the really super feminine super high camp 
like super like lowbrow culture. And that's really what it was born from. And it was, I think as it's grown over time, it changed and it, be, it became about community and it became about mentoring and support and uplifting each other. There was definitely an element of that when we began as well, but it really become to the fore, come to the forefront um, after a couple of years of doing it, like and after like listening to the community and seeing what their needs were. Um, and that, that then involved in us doing the Inferno Summit, which we do every year, which is like a day long seminar of like panel talks and workshops and, commissioned performance pieces and video pieces and bits and bobs music and all of that jazz like and it's holding space for the community to talk about pressing issues and giving a platform to the most marginalized of us and it's happening online this year yeah hopefully i've applied for some funding so fingers crossed the inferno summit 2020 will be taking place online somewhere so can't wait we'll (laughs) We'll be in attendance Everybody can be in attendance who wouldn't be in London normally, which would be fab. Oh my god, that'd be amazing! Very exciting. I'm excited. It'll be nice. It'll be really nice with everything going on in the world right now, just to to bring people together and really talk about how other communities across Europe and the world are dealing with the crisis and how they're how they're practicing safety and checking in with each other and also like giving the community leaders and figureheads tools to be able to do this in a good way. Absolutely. And as a, as a Brit who tours, like Lewis, how do you see cultures respond differently to you as an artist or do you, do you see that? Could you repeat the question, please? Of course. So as a Brit who pre COVID, right. Yeah, I guess you were touring with um, Inferno. How do you see that cultures respond differently to you as an artist? I don't know. It's it's really interesting. Like, I guess I get. I don't know. I've never really thought of it. I just go and do my thing and have a good fucking time. <laughs> I mean, I never. We got to tour India together, you know, and that was, I think, for me at least, like I, it was crazy to watch the like because it was it had been less than a year since um homosexuality was like even legal in that country and it was like incredible to kind of watch people kind of take their identity out for the first time like be who they were (laughs) in a party for the first time and I was so like we got to do that together and it was such a blessing to get to have that be kind of our first friendship encounter to be like holy shit like we are the, the we're getting to kind of watch this this thing be born in in this place no definitely it was a, a fucking amazing and really beautiful experience and we got on so many incredible people but like as you say it just out people had just started being out and proud because of a short amount of time so everything was still like in its fledgling phases but then there was also like a few of the elders like um, a few of the older tra- like trans girls and a few of the older drag queens that had been working on the scene underground anyways and legally for a long like 10-15 years and it was really amazing to meet them and just listen to their stories and what they'd been done and just how things have changed in such a short amount of time for them and it was like obviously like what I do like is very underground and very London and very me and like although they don't have access to people like me in the underground, they have access to like RuPaul's Drag Race and stuff. So their idea of like queer culture is very different to like knowing my history 
of like the underground queer British scene. So it's yeah, it's different and it's really beautiful in its own way. And it's interesting how they take these things, such as Drag Race, but then put their own cultural spin on it. Like it's really, really beautiful. But I think everybody loved me and we got on really well and we made some amazing friends there who I would love to go and see again one day. And yeah, it was the first time I met Louisa as well, which was like, we just hit it off and had a great time. Instant magic. She came home talking about you. <laughs> I, I, like, I love Louis. <laughs> <laughs> I love my friend. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh. it was so nice it's so weird that we haven't even known each other a year like I had we had this conversation like a few weeks ago I was like I can't believe we haven't even known each other a year but I also feel like I've known Louisa my whole life yeah it's kind of absurd <laughs> we did get thrown into like bonding like boot camp though which is really nice like we almost died in a plane crash together <laughs> yeah that happened <laughs> building intimacy than dying on plane crashes in <laughs> <laughs> fall asleep on each other and then almost die while in the air yeah, I've, never, like, I've never been able to see people's windows and what they're watching on tv from a plane and like oh, not being able to see the runway it was horrific that's terrifying but we survived and so we're on sober sex to tell you about it friends hey <laughs> <laughs> amazing so do you have preferred countries that you you love to go to or play or I love coming to Paris. It's why we do Inferno in Paris. Like, I've got so many. I've got friends there already. Friends are always in town for Fashion Week. Obviously, Louise is there, and like, I I love Paris. I love the air in there. Like, I also love going to Bordeaux. Um, and I mean, India was such an experience that I I would love to go back again. It was like incredible, and one of those experiences that is like was just so beautiful from start to finish and we got to experience so many amazing things that I'm so grateful for truly I mean it's it's such an exciting moment I mean I hopefully kind of on the other end of of the global pandemic there'll be more opportunities to like explore the world in this way because it was such a different thing to like get to be with to you and and Joey Joey's <laughs> Louis's roommate slash sometime collaborator and it this uh yeah, so I don't know. I, I, I my previous experience <laughs> touring by myself is often something I totally like dread, and what, I'm just like, oh man, I, I I love playing, but I hate traveling, and the difference between that and being like, maybe I'll stay longer because I'm having such a good time. <laughs> it's very different. So that's uh, it's exciting. I hope that you get to bring Inferno to Paris and and worldwide soon. Definitely. Well, hopefully, I want to go and dine to go back and play and dance and be with my community. But like, it's one of those very strange things that we're like learning to navigate through and just putting everybody's safety and health um at the forefront, which I think is really important right now. But I miss everybody and I love everybody, and we will be together soon. I think that's really important to remember. Fucking amen. We talk about a sex ideal or who we want to show up in a sexual romantic relationship. Um, and that can also be with like ourselves as well. So I'm super curious to hear about what your sex idea might be. I don't know. I, I was I was thinking about this when I when when you know you said that you're going to mention it. I'm like, oh, what what would be my sex ideal? I'm just like thinking. Like I think I'm still figuring out who I am and what I want and what I need to really like 
give you a thing of what I think. Like, I obviously love somebody who can make me laugh. That is, like, the first thing that gets me. Oh, yes. And then if they're a little bit cute as well, that helps. But also, if not, <laughs> if you can hold a conversation, I'm, I'm happy. But I don't know. It's really, like, I'm in this, this phase of, like, thinking a lot about things. I'm like, you know, do I think I want to be with a man because I'm, like, I need somebody to validate my femininity in a heteronormative way? Or, like, would I be better off with somebody somebody super queer and also, like, non-binary or trans-feminine or gender non-conforming who can relate to me and have that, have a deeper connection, you know? So I'm kind of, like, navigating through that at the moment and, like, really just thinking about what do I actually want. Hmm. But what a beautiful thing to be able to kind of offer yourself that space of curiosity, you know? Because I think that, like, we get so many cultural messages everybody about like as you mentioned kind of what we should want to validate who we think we should be and yeah. so to be like I don't I I'm I'm not like I'm curious as to what kind of is actually the the north you know or if there is one or if it's like a kind of a playground for exploration and seeing what hits or sticks or lands you know well you're both both in relationships how what, what are your sex ideals Rose, you first. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, my sex ideal, um, my sex ideal has changed a lot. It used to be just like super safe, and like I then I realised like I could never achieve super safe until I found super safe in self. Like I would always be searching for like this person's sort of fits and like. My ex was like a doctor of clinical psychology who was like the most unsafe human being in the world. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, and I was like, you feel very safe. You're you fit this box, and like, and now it's really. I just love what you just said, Lewis, about like, do I need somebody to validate a certain thing in me, right? And so now it feels very much like not about validation, but a lot about like cutting a lot of slack, but also building trust and allowing all forms of myself to show up in a relationship, like whatever that looks like. And it isn't dependent on me being a certain, playing a certain fucking role, you know, which I, I did a lot when I was thinking music. Like, I was like, I think this is what you want. So I'll be this, whether that's with men or women. And now I'm just like incapable of doing that for very long. <laughs> occasionally sat back in so authenticity i guess i just had to use a lot of words to get to that one (laughs) i love that it's interesting because the last time i kind of did a more formal fourth step or sex inventory like i wasn't in a serious relationship i was still kind of dating and so a lot of my ideal was about showing up in a way that like what was considerate because i found that like kind of the stuff that I I was seeing come up over and over again is the way I was being harmful to others was like just not considering the fact that they were like humans with their own lives and their own issues and not everything is constantly about me including rejection (laughs) and also that like if I wasn't feeling it then don't bullshit you know so that's but that was like over three years ago and now I think the thing that I'm really being drawn powerfully towards, like you mentioned that you kind of had a real like hardcore awakening when you started to kind of 
discover more like gender fuckery and, and like queer culture is this idea of I started to read um, uses of the erotic that <laughs> I've mentioned like 5,000 times. I've already sent like entire <laughs> excerpts to Rose about from uh, Audre Lorde, who's like a, a black feminist lesbian who I guess was writing in like the 60s and 70s. And she talks about this idea of like the erotic being a seat of power and intuition and like deeper than knowledge. And that once you tap into it, that like your life, anything but kind of finding the thing that resonates with that on a deep and powerful level, even in daily life, right? Anything from like writing a poem to painting a fence to like, you know, making dinner, washing the dishes. Like if it doesn't resonate with that charge, then it will feel pale and sad so this idea of like looking for and and accepting nothing less than that that level of energy and you know i think that like it's that's a tall fucking order <laughs> but at the same time like uh, i think i'm doing myself a disservice and my partner a disservice if i kind of um don't don't now that I know I've kind of tapped into that in terms of my own sexuality how to kind of and in in terms of my my sex life with my partner how to kind of pursue that in a in a tangible and the kind of um what's the word I'm looking for um conscientious way um and and that's scary because it means kind of like asking and trying and not like not settling for kind of what's easy or, you know, like vanilla missionary, blah, blah, blah. So I'm, I'm excited about the kind of the evolution in that direction of really kind of making this an area to grow and deepen in authenticity and intuition and like to not fear desire, you know, whatever that looks like. <laughs> so new phase of the journey. <sighs> Look how pumped you are. I'm so fucking pumped. <laughs> <laughs> literally so into this book we were just in a meeting earlier and she was like I read an quoting. <laughs> I'll send it to all of you I'll mention it in show notes <laughs> it is incredible and you also thankfully set my dyslexic self the um YouTube version so I don't read and get confused so this lady reads it to you <laughs> yeah Oh, Fab, send it over to me. I want to listen to okay. it. <laughs> okay, then I will. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I'm excited. Yeah. So, first lightning round question is, what turns you on? Oh, what turns me on? Just being, I don't know, just making me laugh. I love that. <laughs> Especially because you have such a good laugh. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like kind of villainous but in the best possible way i mean what can i say I, i'm literally a disney villain <laughs> you're like i am ursula i'm a hero of my own story <laughs> amazing what's inspiring you right now um what is inspiring me right now i mean obviously everything that's happening with black lives matter is really amazing and inspiring and incredible like i literally got back from being in newcastle a few hours ago and just the fact that my friends up north where everything is very white very heterosexual very you know just completely different to like living in a metropolitan city like London and that having conversations about race 
which I never thought would happen in a really honest and open way and, and realizing some things that they maybe do that aren't, you know, correct or have some negative connotations to, but, and being aware of those things and how they impact other people. Like, I think it's amazing. Like I was blown away. The fact that some of my friends are turning around and, and, and actively having these conversations. These are people that I thought wouldn't do this, you know? That's so exciting and so powerful to even to hear that, like, that the the kind of global resonance of this moment is really it's a it's a real thing like there is an actual we're we're part of a revolution right now it's so beautiful yeah it's the biggest civil rights movement in history and it's incredible and we're so lucky to be a part of it and experience it and just getting to listen to you know black people and and yeah it's so crucial yeah um, who are your top three dream speakers for Inferno Summit? Oh, I was thinking about this. So first of all, it's Kate Bornstein. Do you know who Kate Bornstein is? No. Who is she? Uh, she wrote a book called Gender Outlaw in the 90s. Um, and then she's written loads of amazing books. Anyway, she's like the kindest human, nicest human being ever. Um, she used to be in the Church of Scientology and she like left to go and transition which means that she left her ex-wife behind and her child. Oh. She's not allowed contact with them. Um, oh. and she's really amazing, an amazing, inspiring person. And has done like, loads of great work for the community and written some incredible books. And just so full of kindness. Like, I think that the, the, like, she's the most kindest human being in existence. Um, awesome. Okay, so number one, Kate Bornstein. Yeah. 10 out of 10 would recommend. One <laughs> um, <laughs> would be, oh, I don't know. I would love to, I would love Grace Jones to, oh. to be there and maybe get to speak to Grace. Like, Grace is somebody who's inspired me since I was like 15, 16. Um, even like, like before, like Lee Bowery and stuff, I was aware of Grace and the way that she played with gender. Um, and was the start of many conversations for me and obviously like I love loved her music as well and like Grace is just amazing and she's done so much and she's been a muse and, and being an artist in her own right and like she's done so much over like 40 50 years it's like insane it's so iconic uh, <laughs> like beyond iconic like the icon yes you know? and then finally oh who would my last person be um no, oh, I've never thought this, this hard about it. Oh, I, I do. I am obsessed with at the moment. Contrapoints, Natalie Wynn. Who's that? Um, the Contrapoints is a YouTube channel of like this transgender ph um, philosopher called Natalie Wynn, and she does. She's been cited a lot in like de-radicalizing the alt right, especially like those online. She talks a lot about incels and like, um, just some of the like signaling of the far right and stuff. Um, she does lots of talk about gender and sexuality and things like shame and her relationship with men. Amazing. Like, these are, like, an hour and a half long. Sometimes they, they can be as short as 20 minutes to an hour and a half long, like, really theatrical, over-the-top, um, almost like plays, I would say, but she's reading her own views and takes on philosophy. It's very contemporary, very, like, mixed with internet culture, and she looks amazing and she's playing all these different characters, like, would recommend. Very excited to check this out. Louisa just sent me a link.
she just um, an amazing new one on Cringe, and it's like it is just so fucked up, but also really interesting and really bizarre how like the dark recesses of internet culture work in like wider society. Um, yeah, she's amazing. Fantastic. And might I add Brene Brown, just so we can all, like bask in the power that is Brene Brown. The best. Like it will change your life. What? Have you both seen the Netflix episode, the special, The Call for Courage? Yes. Yes. Did yes. you enjoy Wept. it? Wept. I mean, I keep referencing in my mind that that moment of like <laughs> So tell me how you're experiencing this, you know, because I think that like that was a real epiphany of like, oh, I've meaning made out of something that's not actually happening because I find that I do that quite a lot. And her kind of illuminating it in that way was really, really helpful. Yeah. I mean, I thought I thought the Call of Courage was like a long winded version of her like TED Talks, which is like cute. But also I feel like maybe it's because I'm so like militant and like straight to the point, you know, that I enjoyed the TED Talks. But I thought it was like lots of like fluffing and I'm like, I don't like fluff unless it's like sparkly nice fluff that you adorn your body with you know <laughs> Tell us how it is. <laughs> I mean the podcast is really good I find oh she has, she has a podcast it's called Unlocking Us <laughs> oh wow I'm gonna check that out it's really good although this is not a paid for advertisement though Brene if you'd like to pay for our advertising we're totally just non-stop talk about you back to you Lewis what do you love more than anything what do I love more than anything? Myself. Yes! <laughs> Best possible answer. I love that. I love that you love you because it's like the nice thing about being around people who truly love themselves and not in like a self-obsessed or kind of like creepy narcissistic way is that it's contagious. Mm. Mm. Like I, I always worry that when I say I love myself, people are like, oh my God, they're so like self-indulgent and arrogant and I'm like I'm not I'm just like I worked really fucking hard to feel this way about myself and I want to celebrate that fucking yeah my mom told me once I was in a relationship where I felt guilty for being myself and she was like you've worked so hard to be who you are don't change for anybody and I was like okay mom <laughs> but it feels mom. like that it feels like like how who am I to have such harsh critical judgment and like self-shaming and like uh discomfort in my own skin you know like who 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 am i to say i'm unacceptable fuck that right yeah amazing that's amazing best advice ever i learned it from you <laughs> <laughs> handle it no so that laugh is pretty so that's i'm so jealous of the laugh qua 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 I'm just saying to Lewis, I'm pretty jealous of your laughs. <laughs> it feels like wondering. a really good laugh. The <laughs> body experience is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I want to wear your laugh as a hat. Will <laughs> 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 it work? <laughs> but I think that's that's all the questions we have. Is there anything else that you want to plug or support or shout out? Um. Not really. I haven't thought this far ahead. I didn't didn't think of that. Where can find you on the internet? You can find me on the internet at Lewis G. Burton on all social media. Highly recommend Instagram. Also, highly recommend your uh, the Infernal London Instagram because it's so inspiring. It's yes, the that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> 
can't wait to check it out. Yeah, I mean, it's just full of my amazing, beautiful community. So if you want to see some, like, people living authentically and having a good fucking time, come and see some wonderful pictures. Oh, it's my jam. Yeah. Thank you so much. You've been amazing. Oh, it was lovely to meet you, Rose. I can't Super nice to meet you, Rose. My heart is a flutter at the idea that you guys will meet in person someday. And I hope oh, yeah. you love each other as much as I love you both. 